welcome to Manly Movies, where guys get together to shoot the breeze and talk about our favorite movies and the lessons they teach us about being a man. Just a quick intro, as always, I'm JB. I'm a husband, a father of two, a son, a brother. I'm not an expert on any of those things, but I do the best that I can. I have a passion for film and a passion for discipleship, so why not mix the two? Movies can teach us a lot about life, and that's what I want to dive into. So let's get started. Joining me, a repeat guest, Mr. Don Shanahan. What's going on, Don? JB, I'm doing great. Happy uh, June to you. This is a Thursday night, but it's nice on the eve of Father's Day weekend, so it's great to dive in and, and feel good about being those things that you listed because uh, I'm all those things too and and same thing not good at any of them but I'm doing my best where I can <laughs> agreed agreed I'm glad you could join us of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world you came to and joined my show I appreciate it absolutely <laughs> so yes if you don't know that's what we're going to talk about it's Casablanca tonight mm-hmm but before we do, just real quick, what have you been watching recently that you would recommend to the audience? I, well, you know me, I, I'm, as the press credential guy, I get to see everything early. So I've been lucky enough to see Lightyear early uh, and uh, it drops for most people in theaters tonight while we're recording. And I get real nice Pixar movie in terms of just a good male role model situation there and, and a nice new way of looking at a, what we thought would be a familiar character. Really enjoyed uh, the method and the madness they kind of put into spinning this you know character off into what it is and i i can't get over how simple it was versus how tenuous it was looking for a second they were like like how much more can we squeeze out of this character didn't we have four movies of it what could that possibly look like and what could that be and then the movie opens with these titles this is not spoiler alert by any means but um it opens with this whole little just a couple of title cards that say in 1995 a boy named andy got a toy for his birthday from his favorite movie this is that movie. And that's it. That's all you need to get into exactly the zone of what my year is versus, oh my gosh, is it a prequel? Is it a sequel? Is it a spinoff? Is it in someone's head or just all that? And it's so you end up watching a, a 90s movie that a kid fell in love with enough to want to buy a toy or to get a toy for his birthday. And I tell you what, by doing that in, a, in the simplest way, you can kind of make your own adventure and do your own thing that doesn't have to anywhere match what tim allen or other you know other versions of that character are if anything you can thicken it up because it's not a toy who's just you know pushing buttons to make noises you can put some depth into it and make it you know a a more humanly kind of thing and you get that it's a darn good little pixar movie the other thing i could recommend to folks um where i can kind of be a week early on is i just got out of a press screening two nights ago for elvis and if you um and it's loud crazy uh three hours and excessive but uh, it's and it's um because of that it's it's super thick and super massive but uh Baz Luhrmann is that kind of guy where where gaudy is his speed he is the the artsy version of Michael Bay where that average shot length from the technical side of things is like two and a half seconds like it's a movie of that's just click 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 but because it's Elvis and I I admit I'm a guy who who had parents who dug Elvis which means I listen to Elvis and I, I enjoy him enough where. It does justice by the mystique of what he is, by the size of what he is in terms of a persona and an impact on music where uh, as gaudy and as, and as excessive as the movie is, the movie kind of forces you to not succumb to the massive you know, frenzy of what that movie is, but you submit to it because you're like, damn, this is Elvis and it's good. So I, 
I probably have a soft recommend for Elvis in a couple of weeks here. I, I think by the time I write it, it's going to come out more positive than negative, even though I'm sitting there with unintentional laughs the whole movie, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did it like that, or Tom Hanks doing this ridiculous character and accent where it's a lot. But uh, in the end, if you like Elvis, you'll, you'll get a kick out of that movie. Yeah. So between Elvis, I'm just curious to see where the rest of the summer is going. Um, I got that press invite today for Thor Love and Thunder, so I'm stoked to get that on the horizon. But uh, other than that, uh, that's been me. What have you been watching and doing lately other than everything, JB? Jeez. <laughs> You're a sponge. Uh, for real. I'm trying to catch up on lost time. Well, this past week, it's I've been getting, I've been doing a lot more old stuff. I got on this kick. I watched the Great Train Robbery, which I'd seen it before in a film class in college, and it, I didn't really remember a whole lot about it. But man, watching it again just really blew me away. It was like it was 1903, and there was just so many tricks they were doing with the camera to try to make color appear and stuff, and it was just like mm. mind blowing <laughs> to watch. And then you know that along with the, there's like you know 55 other movies on a playlist on Canopy that that movie is on. And so I watched a whole bunch of from the late 1800s and, and early 1900s. But then there's a couple that I'd want to recommend. 1925's Lights of Old Broadway. Okay. It's uh, about Irish twins. Not Irish twins like a year apart, but like actual twins. I got you. <laughs> so, but, I would have believed but, you with either one of them, JV. <laughs> but they were they're from Ireland, and then they got separated at birth. They got adopted by two different families, and one of them was like a very wealthy family, and the other one was just like some poor Irish like people that were living in, squatting in these people's houses. And just kind of the what how their lives end up intersecting, and it's just, it's very, very interesting. And I... So, so cool. I mean, and there's a love story involved in it, and it's it's just... Have you seen it? No. No, I'm going to look that up. Okay, yeah, check it out. It's um, I watched it on Kino Now. I got a free rental from them. Sure. And But it's not streaming anywhere, but you can get it on... Like, Kino Lorber sells the actual, the, the Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to pick that up on the next sale that I have coming they up. They do have so. good sales. They really do. Yeah, they... Wallet-destroying sales. <laughs> Yeah, for Man. real. Another one that I've watched recently was uh, Grave of Fireflies from 1988. It's an anime. Okay. And I had never seen it. I'm not a really big anime fan, but... Neither am I, so I'm behind. Yeah, yeah, me either. I don't, I don't watch a whole lot, but a friend of mine had suggested it to me. He said, dude, this is a manly movie, and if you watch it and you want to, I'll be on the show. We can, we can talk about it. I'm like, okay, cool. So just... Look out for that one ahead, maybe one of these All days. Right. But it, it's it's a story about a during World War II where this um, boy and his little sister they lose their mother from a an attack in Japan, like they're Japanese, and so it's him taking care of his his of the little girl when there's like a famine going on, and it's it's a man, it's a who. <laughs> All right, it will tear you up <laughs> just watching it. So I don't know if I, I, I'm going to watch it again, but after that, I probably won't because it's, it's too much. and It's heavy. But besides that, uh, Ride the High Country is another one. 1962, Sam Peckinpah. You know, everybody thinks of, um, what's the movie that he did? Uh, the that Wild Bunch. goes to The Wild Bunch every yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. But man, I like this movie a lot better. I mean, it's All just, right. it's, it's more, <laughs> I guess it's more like your classic Western where, the, where there's more optimism there. And so, good word for it. 
that's that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going with that. So other than that, I think I'm. Uh, I did watch Logan Lucky for the first time, and man, I really like Steven Soderbergh, and I've I've you know grew up in the 2001 when Ocean's Eleven came mm-hmm. out. That was like the movie to watch, and I, that's been one of my favorites ever since then. But man, watching Logan Lucky and seeing kind of that heist scenario played out for like Southerners. <laughs> Right, right. It, it, it's close to home for me. I was so. say, yeah. yeah, I'll never say the word cauliflower the same way again. That's for sure. <laughs> cauliflower, cauliflower. And and Channing Tatum is actually from a town about forty five minutes south of me. Very cool. So, so it, his character definitely felt genuine to me. So, mm-hmm. uh, one more thing I want to throw on there. It's not necessarily a recommendation, but there's a movie that came out last year called The Hunting. And it's uh, it's streaming on Tubi TV, but it features Peyton Hillis, the former running back for the Arkansas Razorbacks and the uh, Cleveland Browns, uh, Mm -hmm. who was unfortunately uh, a victim to the Madden curse. He got on the Madden game Mm -hmm. on the cover, and then he had another injury, and that was all it. But but yeah, he's actually breaking into acting, and he really didn't do a terrible job. It's just the movie's... Nah. <laughs> yeah that's where a guy like that's gonna start you know he's not Dwayne Johnson yet so mm-hmm. yeah exactly but it's worth it's worth checking out at least once it's it's very very interesting it's about okay yeah I can't I don't want to say a whole lot about it apparently there's like legends of werewolves in uh the Ohio area so all right so that's I'll leave it at that <laughs> so sounds all right but like you said, I watch a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> so you that's, do. Uh, the range you just presented is nuts. But I, 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 I was with you. I binged that same 55 film canopy list as well, where just some of it's simple, some of it extremely clever, all of it magical. You know, th- those are just, it gives you a history of, of just why people did what they did to make these things. And now where we, you know, they walk so we all, you know, they crawl so we all can walk and now we all can run. And it's great to see the history of cinema. Because uh, there's a, a George Melez deep dive that you could do after those 1890s ones where it's just because his storytelling of just, you know, trips through and stuff like that. And he, he took it to another level and it's awesome. So yeah, there's a great Saturday afternoon deep dive for people who want to go old school. And, and for those of us who are, who are image conscious, we get to extend that stat line on letterbox just so far to the left to 1890s. We look so cool doing this. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, Trip to the Moon was so good. I, I remember mm-hmm. watching that in college in, in the film class that I was in. And then I watched it again a year, I think it was last year when I watched it again. But man, that's so, so good. Just yeah. just the the ambition that they had. Great work for it. <laughs> unbelievable. So, well, I guess let's just move on to the movie. We're talking about Casablanca, the 19... 19- 41 is that correct 42 43 Four, in between there a little bit yeah a little in between there uh, but before we go on do you say casablanca or casablanca uh, now i gotta say it out loud to not sound like a yankee uh casablanca how did i sound casablanca yeah how did i, I mean, say it i know that's i mean I, that's how i say it too it's I just don't, like i don't put too much ass in the casa so casablanca <laughs> I, mean, I don't go that far with it, so yeah uh, well Cas- like I in the movie spanish than english yeah in the movie, they pronounce it Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so but we're I think the Latin, yeah, I think the Latin is should be ah ah ah. So for mm-hmm. me, so that's that's yeah. how I always want to pronounce it. And I've been, and I've actually been to Casablanca. That's how they pronounced it. So dang, all right, nice work. Yeah. What brought well, you to Morocco? Um, 
I had a friend who was a missionary in Morocco. He was living in Tangier. Sure. Um, it's right there at the Strait of Gibraltar, kinda. And I just went to visit him just for a week, just to kind of see his world and what he was doing and everything. And mm-hmm. it was, I, I, I didn't go with the group. It was just me. I just I just went to see him. And what's funny, we flew in, or I flew in, and I landed in Casablanca. And then I saw Rick's Cafe. They have a replica of, sure. of, the, of the restaurant. I didn't go in it because he said it's really expensive and there's a cover and like it's just it's like super exclusive. Yeah. Like I mean, if you could go and and eat there, but man, you got you got to shell it out. Apparently, I believe but, it. So we took a taxi or whatever to Tangier, and then I, I was there for probably five days, I think. And then wow. someone stole my passport. And so then I had to take a train back to Casablanca to the uh, the U.S. embassy there. And so like when I got into that embassy, I was so happy. Oh, I'm on American American soil, technically, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was it was a, an experience. But I yeah. stayed in Casablanca there for that night, and then the next day I spent spent the night with some other missionaries that were living there. Okay, and it it was it was an okay time there. I mean, I, I enjoyed myself. Other than that stupid thing happening. Mm-hmm. How many now? How many years ago was that, JB? Twenty twelve is when that was. Okay. Had you so. seen the movie by that point in twenty twelve? Yes, I had right. seen it. I had seen it once. Yeah, yeah, and then I think I've watched it like maybe three times since then. So sure, sure. Tell us about that first time. When did you first discover it? When I first discovered it, I actually this was back before Netflix streaming was a big thing, and and would get the disc. We got the disc for Casablanca and my wife and I watched it just because I wanted to watch it and she wanted to watch it and she uh she didn't really care for it. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and we're still together. Um yeah. <laughs> so she I mean she doesn't really like a whole lot of old movies. Um I think her favorite from that time would probably be Gone with the Wind. See okay. that's I'm not a big fan of that. So Yeah. But yeah, so we watched it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool, like, had kind of a noir feel, but then it was like, you had the whole war element versus, and, and the romance. So it's like mm-hmm. a, a big explosion of, of, of genres there. So that was my first take on it. Is And that was my first movie with uh, Humphrey Bogart as well. So yeah, I, my first time was a pretty cool experience, but the more I watch it, the more I get how huge this movie is and and yeah. and and yeah so what about you i know you I, your your handle is casablanca don yes. so I'm, I'm sure you have some history there as well sure no um it's my number one period uh favorite best like if you ask me what's the best movie like when people ask me what's the best movie you ever seen casablanca is first thing out of my mouth when people ask me what's the what's your favorite movie Casablanca first thing out of my mouth i i own it in two different formats i have two posters of it in the wall i i would name children after it if I could. Well, I guess I have a Sam. Uh, but yeah, uh, I discovered it in college. Um, I was kind of doing a, a Humphrey Bogart deep dive. I, I'd watched oh some Bogart and Bacall movie later than Casablanca. And, some, and I was working at a, at a video store at the time, like most of us dorks that turn into movie people sometimes do in college. And I, I, someone said, hey, the, the one you got to see is Casablanca. I think a professor recommended it to me. And uh, it was like my music teacher because I was an elementary education major. So it's not like I had film classes or anything. But uh, they kind of saw what I did with movies in the newspaper because I was kind of the, the newspaper movie critic for college. And they're like, well, if you've never seen that, you got to go see that. So I found the VHS tape of it. And 
was enraptured by it first time I saw it. Where I it, it I got all of it. It hit me where just the you know the relationship elements, the war elements, the the uniqueness of those actors coming together, and I I fell for it hook line and sinker. And it's been my favorite movie since then, and and to this day nothing's come close. Uh, and I um JB, you know me through Facebook and other places where uh, I'm that guy who really does his best to oh, I use the word best, but I'm really does my best to separate the idea between favorite and best. You know, I call call it an occupational hazard between uh where my head works and where my heart works. But like I can have favorites of things that I know are terrible movies. And then there are movies that are critically acclaimed and extremely good about what they do that I could just care less if I ever see again. So um, where I can respect things that are the best of something and I can respect things that are personal favorites. But Casablanca is one of those special few for me that the, where the Venn diagram overlaps right in the middle where that it, it's a favorite and a best for me. And uh, I I adore it. I probably watch it once a year. It's, it's one of those movies for me. Very nice. Very nice. I think that for me, that would be, it's a, it's a wonderful life. I, I mean, I, I pitch that to everybody all the time. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a perfect movie and it's mm-hmm. my absolute favorite. So it's, it, it's one of those that would be exactly in that same spot in the middle for me too. a favorite and a best at what it does. Mm-hmm. War is hell. People make films about it and we love to talk about them. Join a Marine veteran, a film critic and a theater director as we laugh argue, and explore the history of humanity's triumphs and tragedies through war films old and new. With new episodes every other Friday, we are Dan, Katie, and Liam. And this is Danger Close. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and listen to an 80s flick flashback podcast once in a while, you could miss it. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes, VCRs, and the video rental stores? Does the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? My name is Tim Williams. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by guest co-host to discuss one of the many movies released in the 1980s. We share our first-time watch memories, our favorite scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. New episodes are released every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an excellent episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The ad is over. Go home. Go. Oh, man. So, so I guess you watched it again like last night? I did. Yeah. I... I... I needed a, an unwinding moment to get done with the last day of school. And I'm like, well, I got my homework for tomorrow night. Let's, let's just roll this one right in. So, yeah, I was happy to go back to it. Nice. So, anything new stick out to you this time? Oh, I mean, you, how, how many times have you seen it first? Let me ask oh, you God, that. Like, yeah, like once a year for 20 years. So, okay. you know, a, a, yeah. a ton. So, at least. No, this is the, I think the time before this, I watched it uh, a year ago or two years ago, just stuck home for COVID and all that. I, uh, I watched it for the first time with Roger Ebert's commentary. Uh, his commentary is one of two, I believe, on the most of the disc editions that are out there. And uh, that was fascinating because he's he's not a he's breaking it down in terms of like the stories it took to kind of get this scene made or how it got set here or what's on a back lot. What's shot this way? Oh, here's why Bogart was in this spot here. And like not a super technical. Uh, uh, ha- well, I should say a little bit of both. It was like 
a very half technical review of kind of where that movie kind of got made and how it was done. And then an impactful kind of thing, like, you know, this scene at the time meant this, and since then it's meant this, and just because he recorded that commentary in the late 90s, and it's it's stuck around since because obviously he's passed. But yeah, that that time watching the movie two times ago was awesome because I, I soaked up more nuggets there than I ever remember before, and I need to go back. There's one more commentary on there for, um, I believe it's a uh, film historian, Rudy Baylor, who I'm sure is going to be more of the storytelling yarn guy than Eber being the... You know, uh, take a look at what you see here. Take a look at what you see there. Like he'll he'll spot. I'm not saying he's spotting like Easter eggs and spotting flaws, but he'll he'll kind of show you the seams and the edges of where where the filmmaking shows up versus the the mystique of it all. So that was probably more nuggets there than than this particular time. Have you? I mean, do you own this one? Is this something? Is this is that Eber commentary available in your direction? In my future, yes. I still don't have a hard copy of the film. I have the digital version sure and that's what i've watched what i watched this time and i actually watched it at the movie theater about three or four months ago and yeah it just had an anniversary right yeah so i I, that that was fun i i I enjoyed that um no i don't i don't have a hard copy it's on my list as soon as i i saw it for its in big screen for its 70th 10 years ago where I was like, ah, oh, but I, it was just a bad week in COVID where I couldn't make it for the 80th this year. But yeah, it would have been awesome. Oh yeah. It's cool. I, I do want to get a hard copy. I just, I, take your I don't know. The sales are coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I gotta, I gotta find a, a good one on sale at some point. Yeah. I mean, man, it's, there's like, you know, five or six different Blu-rays out there. So. Yeah. I have one. It doesn't, you know, I can't show it off on a podcast, but uh, I have like this limited edition box set, big beast of one that has like coasters and a film poster and like the, the big white box. And I have that limited edition one. That's the last Blu-ray one I have. I have another one that's a nicer set that's more DVD behind me. Uh, I've been holding out for a nice 4K one, but I'm waiting for kind of if they do another set, if they do another anniversary, if they kind of gloss it up. I know there's like a bare bones 4K one that's out there, but I'm I'm kind of waiting for a pretty one, so I'll do. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's kind of, I think that's what I'm waiting for too. Is is a good 4K copy, and I, I almost bought the. There's a Humphrey Bogart set. It's got that Treasure of Sierra Madre, Maltese Falcon, mm-hmm. and African Queen, and that's maybe one it. other. Yeah, there the, there is a box set of that, and but I think it went out of print. So now to buy it, you have to pay like you know a hundred dollars or something yeah. when it was like thirty. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I almost pulled the trigger on that a long time ago, but I, but I ended up missing out on it. But uh, yeah, I'll wait on a, a good 4K copy. Mm-hmm. But So this last time you watched it, it yeah. anything new oh. stick out to you? Well, I know you're probably knowing I was coming manly on your moments. Show. Yeah, knowing yeah. I was coming on your show and we were going to talk about kind of the, the manly angle of it, I kind of try to take each male character and kind of break down some traits about them or just kind of like where what kind of men are they? And that whole sort of thing where I, and at the same time, there's obviously themes overarching going on. But uh, yeah, so I, on my notes, I kind of took each male character and kind of said, what makes them tick and what, why they do what they do? Uh, because um, and if you start at the top with, with Rick, it's um, this is a breakup movie. You know, when you think about it, like this is a the probably the uh, to use your show. This is easily for me the manliest breakup movie you can get, because like, <laughs> yes, he's got his weak moment where we get to our flashbacks of what you know what all occurred in paris between him and elsa but at the same time like he's he's angry he's still drinking you know but it's not a 
cry over ice cream and sweatpants on the couch. You know, he's still still in the dinner jacket from the bar that night on. And Sam's still sitting there with him as a as a loyal voice of reason and, you know, a guy who can kind of cover for his friend a little bit. But the the arc of Rick is tremendous in this movie because you meet him as a no nonsense. I stick my neck out for no one kind of guy. And you hear all these people around him talk about him in a way of like, oh, well, he, you know, he's just such a hardliner or like doesn't do this, doesn't do that, doesn't bend for anybody, doesn't bend for, for love or for any ideas and isn't very helpful. But then all of a sudden, and it do, it doesn't take much when she walks in or and when that mm-hmm. song comes on, he's destroyed. And more and more as the movie goes on, the world weary history that that other characters kind of get clues on and, and hint about that maybe he was like, especially when you have um uh, Captain Renault there always kind of like, you know, I heard a lot about you and you, 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 you were this in America. And I, I like to think you killed the man. And, you know, all those little <laughs> rumors about him all of a sudden become maybe a little more true than he would like them to be, to be because he's built up such a reputation as the as the tough guy and, and, and the, and the no nonsense business person who's making a go of it as an expat kind of mystery man in Africa. Whereas, you know, an American like him should probably, you know, be home or doing something different for the war effort. But for that movie to hold on to those revelations and pace them out along the way after that, that night of drinking in the, in the flashback scene, like when we come out of that, he's still angry. He's still pissed. He's still drunk. But the layers start to wash off more and more from that point on when we're back to the present till the movie ends where obviously choices are made and all those things like that to kind of be what kind of character he's going to be. But his arc fascinates me because, as like I said, as a manly breakup movie, that's a guy going through some stuff. And this is pre-therapy. The only therapy he's got is the bottle next to him and the friend playing on the piano. He has to figure mm-hmm. this out himself. You can tell he's not right about it still might not be right about it he you have to wonder how tempted he is by what's there to change things or force different parts and being a 1940s movie you know do you hop back into bed with this woman especially if she's trying to seduce him for letters of transit or at least attempt to try like i feel like if this was a 70s movie it would go a far more different way than a hopeful (laughs) 40s movie so Mm -hmm. just his arc alone is, is wonderful and for him to kind of come out at the end still kind of a, a tough guy hero of it all is his arc is great i mean well, how, how do you read rick in this movie jb yeah you, you mentioned one thing that just cracks me up every time i hear it when he said uh i'd like to think that you killed a man but maybe that's just the the the, the romantic in me <laughs> like, just yeah. every time i hear that cracks me up uh rick and i noticed that whenever i watched it in the movie theater that for one movie you know i you can talk about people like Tony Stark's arc, but man, the dude had 20 movies to set that up. Right. Like, and, and, and lots of people have a really, a really good arc, but man, this is an hour and 45 minutes here from the beginning to the end. Rick Blaine, one of the greatest arcs of any movie ever. Like it just, it blows my mind. Like, and I, and I empathize with him and I can, well, I think we've all been there. We've all, yeah, we've all been the, the kind of guy who, is is going through something and doesn't want to really be around anybody and doesn't really and doesn't want to feel anything and wants to just kind of be closed off to everyone and be that hard shell that that he that he was and so he the way he just, and and before we just go on 
Spoiler warning, watch this movie before you go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, now, just watch the movie. Uh, pause it and then come back later. But yeah, the arc from that cold shell that is pretty much through most of the movie up until Easily. like almost the very end when he, you know, finally, oh man, when he finally mm-hmm. pulls the gun on uh, Louie. And even then, we still think he's going to get on there himself. Right. And so he's he pulls the gun on him, and he and he goes out there. And then finally, they get to the plane and said, "Okay, Laszlo's going, and you're going with him." Mm-hmm. And <sighs> what yep. he says to her, and I've got a, I wrote it down. I think I did anyway. But basically, he says that you know he Ilsa has to go with Laszlo because she belongs with him. Because she is his wife, and his work isn't worth anything without her. Yeah. And because she's the one who keeps him going and gives him a reason to do what he does. For a man to say that mm-hmm. about a woman that he loves mm-hmm. and wants to be with, that is a manly moment right there. That is You're manning right. up and, and handling your business and saying, yeah. I love you, but you got to go Yeah, because you You're better belong with someone man. else. And that's that's a place that takes me to Victor, you know. Um, I think nine movies out of ten would paint him to be a crappy husband or just this guy who's got some kind of hooks into somebody like Ilsa or like you know. There's no way you'd make a better man than the Humphrey Bogart main hero character in a movie. But here comes Victor Laszlo, you know, a survivor, an inspiring figure, a successful leader, worthy of love, um, a true hero and a proud man at that, like. They don't paint him in a villainous light at all in this movie. And i that's one thing that stuns me because now don't get me wrong. You have Major Strasser. You have your German, you know, typical, you know, war movie bad guy. But I, like I said, nine times out of ten in a, in a love triangle, somebody's the asshole. And they don't make Victor into that kind of person at all. And that's why, like you said, when you get to that manly moment, it's not a knockout loss for Humphrey Bogart because he's saving a bigger thing and a, a very important person. And there's even respect right there from Victor right back to him. And I admire that moment. It's, it's so rare to get a movie that treats that love triangle in a very honest way, because especially by the time we get to that flashback, where we realize this was an extramarital affair when you want to sit down and think about it. And are we really going to cheer on Humphrey Bogart having an extramarital affair or rekindling an extramarital <laughs> affair? Like, there's probably a boundary or a line there where it'd be hard to cheer on and do. We would cheer that on if the guy that she was married to was a jerk, but he's not. So to have that transpire is heady and ahead of its time, in my opinion. So because it's just better than black and white. Yeah. Whenever the Germans start singing their national anthem in the bar and then Laszlo comes in there and he tells the band to play uh, La Marseillaise. I can't, I can't even pronounce it, but basically the French national anthem. Yeah. And and then Rick looks at the, the band leader and says, go on, do it, you know? And so they play it and just Laszlo really stole me in that scene, just his face and his conviction singing that song and, and drowning out the Germans mm-hmm. and saying, look, this is important what we're doing. And you're coming in here. This is this is French. This is French occupied soil right here. And we're not going to let you come in here and and mm-hmm. push your ideals on everybody. So I yeah. just man, it hits my me. manly moment. My manly moment for Victor is that last conversation he has with Rick, where Rick explains to him, "Hey, your wife tried. I kind of let her try, but 
you know, I respect what you do in in, in in so many words, like I respect you too much where she needs to go with you, you know, like it's a piece of that ending. And of course he turns to her and has the conversation you're talking about. So combine those two together and you just see uh, a respectful, uh, what am I trying to say? Almost chivalrous side to the, to the hard shell guy we got all movie. And it's, it, like you said, it's just a, a wonderful revelation in art. So man, yeah, for sure. I was um, wondering first time I watched it, like, how are they? I mean, because I kept expecting the formula here, you know, like they're going to get somehow they're going to get, you know, Bergman and, and, and Bogart together. How's it going to happen? Like, I kept expecting Victor to die. Like something is mm. going to happen tragic where, he, you know, he'll he'll get in too much trouble with Strasser and the Germans where he'll do some heroic act to save her. And with dying breath, like Rick will take care of you now. Like uh, there was going to be a baton pass <laughs> at some point of, you know, the hero, the the true hero will die and the. The good guy will kind of scoop up and take care of the girl at the end. I was waiting for Victor to die when I first watched it. And he doesn't, which is, the again, nine times out of ten, something completely different. Yeah, I I, I think we've kind of been, we've had, we have preconceived notions of what to expect with romance movies, right? Sure. And 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 we usually see the suave kind of guy that, that Humphrey Bogart is. That I mean, like like the modern day, like a like a Matthew McConaughey or something, right? Uh, in in all of his movies, that he his uh, rom coms that he did, you see that alpha male to be the guy that gets the girl at the end, mm-hmm. and so we're expecting something to happen to him. But this is before that formula ever came <laughs> ever came into play. But they still had that formula back then too, especially when you have a big star like Humphrey, where he got the girl plenty. I mean, he played the bad guy True. in plenty of movies too, but you. It's still a very expected thing, even for 1942s. True, but he did play some good bad guys, though. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Oh man, but so yeah, I I was expecting something to happen to Laszlo as well, or just just something to. I mean, I I I just thought Rick was going to get the girl at the end, and maybe that's like I said, it's a preconceived notion that we have. We've been conditioned. That's the word I was looking for. That's We've been word. conditioned for yeah, that. So definitely. So what what do you think to of use, Louis? To use a psychology term there. Sorry. So what, what do you think of Louis? Louis. Well, it's like he held on to his neutrality until like the very last moment. And that's when Rick needed him. I mean, he stuck to his guns and was going to follow the 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 German authority and try to stay neutral, but just try to make peace and, and bring this guy to justice. Until the very end, right when Rick needed him, and he turned and said, "You know, go round up the usual suspects," and he didn't tell on him. Like it was just like literally like five minutes left of the movie. <laughs> he just and he basically he gave up his entire livelihood. Is I guess you wouldn't say that he's giving up his position because I mean nobody really knows what happens. I guess, but yeah, he, he is giving up on all of his ideals of his position and mm-hmm. you know letting. Rick go free in this just to help out a friend, someone who he admires. And, and and you can tell that throughout the entire movie. And it's like you said earlier that it's the romantic in me. And apparently he's still got the romance side. So And so uh, that's just, as Bogey says, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And, and you see that at the end. that It's just beautiful how they come together and help out each other and are, and are there for each other. So, yeah, I, I like Louie a lot. Yeah. It, same here. Uh, I just, um, 
Claude Rains, the actor, is so enigmatic where he's the stick that stirs the drink in this movie, where he's the slickest dude in the room every time. He knows how to stir a pot and get things going. Work, like you said, work both sides where the neutrality is there, but the crookedness is, is possible wherever he wants it to be. It's suggested that, you know, he beds women in order to kind of, you know, give them favors in terms of papers and some, you know, police or government help where, again, if this was like a 70s, 80s or 90s movie, it'd be more tawdry than it is. But the, the suggestions are there that he's he's a slickster. And is, of course, he's played by an A-plus extrovert in, in Claude Rains, who I, I think if you don't have that character, you, I mean, don't get me wrong, you have a amazing love triangle between Bogart, Bacall, and Heinrich, but if you don't have, I'm not saying he's the comic relief, although he does drop all the best lines and jokes. You know, the, the, you're winning, sir. You know, the, the, the gambling scene's my favorite line. Where he, <laughs> I he, love he just it. like, oh, thank you very much. You know, like, you know, shock, 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 that this gambling here. So, <laughs> all all. I mean, so I know traditionally he'd be the comic relief character, but he's still here for me pulling puppet strings, pressing buttons, and still is essential to the plot, and not just in a in an accompaniment kind of way. So I'm glad they gave that character some depth and some fun beyond just the one-liners. Um, fun thing, there is kind of an unofficial novel that's like a sequel to Casablanca. It's called As Time Goes By. Ooh. It was written in 1998, uh, and it's, it kind of answers that question of, well, what happened next? And uh, I'll read a quick little paragraph for you here quick. So um, Rick, Louis, and Sam leave Casablanca with documents provided by Louis. They all travel via Lisbon to London. America has now entered World War II, and they track down Victor, who is keen to resume his part in the work of the Czech resistance. Ilsa begs him to allow her to assist him. Rick and Louis also become involved while Sam stays in London. And it goes on about how Ilsa kind of goes undercover. There's a plot to assassinate some leader. During the operation, Victor kills Louis having become convinced that he was a traitor. And then North Africa is in allied hands and Ilsa and Rick get married and return to Casablanca because I'm trying to think here, uh, where does Victor die? Oh, he then assassinates Hunter, but is killed in the process. So Victor dies, Louis dies, and Ilsa and Rick get together and go back to Casablanca. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I've got to get my hands on this. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's uh, check it out in the library. Uh, and I'm trying to think how. So uh, yeah, nine, 1998, about a 400 page book. It, it goes back and tells a little bit of um, 1931 and 1935, like some of Rick's time in America, doing some probe, like maybe why or you know he's kind of maybe wanted back home or where he has to kind of change his name or kind of change his persona. So some of the backstories there, and then of course what happens after they walk off that airfield. I don't know if I'd ever want to see that story or see that movie. It's kind of, of course it's fascinating what a novelist can do to, to twist something, you know, 50 years later. But yeah, I'm like, no, I'm happy with those two on that plane and those two walking away. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't really want to see it, but yeah, I, I definitely want to read the, read the book. Yeah. Hey, one character that, you know, kind of sticks out to me, especially this time around was Sam. Mm -hmm. And his loyalty to Rick, and in the very beginning, I just I love that exchange where he's like, "Hey Sam, Ferrari wants to, wants you to work for him." He said, "Oh, I like it fine here." And he says, well, "He'll double what I he'll double what I pay you." And then Sam's like, "Yeah, but I ain't got the time to spend the money that I make here." And I'm like, right? "Just I love that man." And then whenever Ilsa shows up, he just straight up lies to her and says he's not here. He he went off with some lady, you know, like he's trying to make her jealous. And so she doesn't like doesn't want her to know that he's there. And he definitely doesn't want to play that song that she requests as time goes by. 
because mm-hmm. he knows he's about to come out then once he starts playing that. And when he does finally give in, uh, after he tells her that, you know, I, I don't know that song, you know, <laughs> like I can't, mm-hmm. I can't remember it. Uh, but when he finally does and, and Rick comes in and, and he hears the song and he looks over and he sees Ilsa, man, that, that look on his face where he's speechless. Mm-hmm. Sam knew that that look was going The score kicks up a little bit with that, that almost like danger moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's great. And that's the thing. Sam knew what was going to happen if they saw each other. And, and he, he picked up that piano it. and rolled it right away like, nope. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out. You guys settle this up right here. But no, I, I admire how much of a, I don't want to say a voice of reason, but a voice of loyalty. Like the fact that he was present for a lot of their good times in Paris. He's the guy tugging on Rick to get on that train to get out of Paris in the rain with the Dear John letter. Like you said, he's cordial with Ilsa, but at the same time, really trying to deflect and, you know, cover for his friend a little bit. And then, um, be- the best conversation is just the the night I'm talking about where you know he's where Rick is drinking trying to get over her that night after he sees her again where Sam is just trying to like just get get him out of that headspace like you know hey, come on let's go out let's get drunk let's, let's go get drunk you know like like just trying to be a friend that says hey let me, who obviously has already worked on this guy for a couple of you know months or years about trying to get get him right get this girl out of his head and, he, and he's back to that job again now that she's reappeared and. You can tell how hard that is for him. Same thing, like in terms of movies in the era, like I was also waiting for that character to just be attacked on, you know, best friend character. And he's still the best friend character, but he's given chances to be a voice in this story more than just the happy go lucky piano guy. And I'm I'm happy he's got some depth too. He's also running away from a war and a country where yeah, like, I bet that guy's got a backstory, too. And it's fascinating that there's enough shade to that coming out of an actor that normally wouldn't get the time of day in 1942. Yeah, definitely. Let me, since we're talking about that with the whole as time goes by when they first see each other, mm-hmm. and then that scene where he's drinking, and so he he, said, he tells Sam to play as time goes by. It's like, if mm-hmm. she can take it, I can. Yeah. And I think that was him wanting to go back yeah, and and wanting to get those feelings again. And that montage of everything that happened in Paris, it like, he's just completely transported. And it's, it's amazing how music can do that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I'm guessing, I don't know if you have ex-girlfriends before you met your wife, but if there's a good chance, I know I have songs that if I hear them, I think it's somebody that's not my wife upstairs. And, it's it's a flood of memory every time you know um whether it was our you know whatever our song was for that particular person and uh when when you hear those it's impossible to at least for me it's impossible not to have a swell of emotions and i have to think every man has that in good ways and in bad that there are songs that trigger euphoric wonderful memories of some crazy wonder great thing that happened in their life but then there's a song like this that crushes you because it reminds you of lost in sadness you got one of those oh man i've got i've got i've got plenty of them you got and books of bad songs okay okay let's start yeah. with the first one jb here we go no, just uh, yeah we're not <laughs> not going there okay okay yeah there's there's a couple i mean I, i'd have to think about it but yeah I, I there's definitely a few songs that would that would take me back for sure mm-hmm. i i got in terms of girls and breakup movies that level of songs i got two i won't say them though 
because then yeah. the people who know what those songs are who are listening will know. <laughs> yeah, they can. And actually, I had a a friend who passed away uh, a few weeks ago, and I have been listening. Oh, thank you. And I've been listening to a lot of songs from 2005, 2004, 2000, like when I was in college, because sure. that was when that was when we were together. I mean, she was dating my roommate freshman year, and we just we kind of hung out for the next three years after that, even even after they broke up. And so when I just found out that she had passed away, I but like when I listen to those songs from from that time, I can I can see her and all of my friends and, and everything that we're doing like just it's oh, man yep. it's so cathartic i just yeah. I love it in history with this song is uh this was as time goes by was just like a little ditty from a play maybe five six years before this movie where it wasn't like the songs we think of that are used in moments in movies today that are chart toppers like I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston from The Bodyguard or My Heart Will Go On from Titanic or even uh, See You Again from Fat, you know, from Furious 7 to Remember Paul Walker. Like Most of those songs are cherry-picked to be huge or are because of the moment and because of the memory that has been built around are, are, are launched into being a thing. You know, This, this song kind of came out of nowhere and was just something that the writers really enjoyed. Uh, and the, and a little bit of the story is based on a play where this is kind of the song that was part of it. And so it was like an older song. It'd be like us hearing a song, like you're saying, from 05, 06 now uh, is like some song that you know, evokes something. And we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that old that old song, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's kind of what that this movie did. Like one of the comps I think of that where like an old song being used in a modern situation would be like uh, a movie like Ghost where you bring out the Righteous Brothers and Unchained mm. Melody, where, like, you you know, for, for a couple of the 90s slash late 80s, that's, the, that's like, their song. You know, I, for of all the songs, it's, it's, a, it's that one versus an 80s song or a 90s song. So it's kind of sweet in a way that there's um, some old souls listening to old music. Yeah, and you got that in Top Gun as well with another Righteous Brothers song. Definitely. Uh, you've lost love and feeling, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> Here we go. The Songbook of Regret and Dread by JB and Don. Here it goes. <laughs> oh, man. I can't even think of them. Yeah. But no, um, and the nice part is like this song, uh, As Time Goes By, simple, beautifully sung by Sam Wilson, is one of those songs that that has been just sewn into Hollywood history where you hear it and you have to think of this movie. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's probably something that will be lampooned someplace else as being like, oh, you're, you're playing that song from that old movie with the old, you know, with the people in the war and breakup movie. Like, it's got an untouchable history now. Oh, for sure. So you're calling this a breakup movie. I and... do. Yeah. I do. And, and like I said, I feel like it's a manly breakup movie because you've got a guy who um, has come through a breakup, hardened as can be. And I think we've all either been that person or have met that person who comes out of a breakup tougher and worse than they were before and i do mean the word worse because like whatever love or or sparkle they had because it was you know helped and fanned and and warmed by whatever relationship they had uh when that goes away those people i think we've all met somebody or been that person like i said who's been bitter and to see a bitter person still be the nice part about rick is a bitter person is he has found success um and he's found a way to keep going even if it's by business means and just self-serving means he's still successful it's a war 
you know, he's he's not exactly dead or killed. You know, he, he's he's getting by and doing his best and has come to a place of respect and power, um, even if it's just a nightclub in a, in a French occupied you know country. But you're to go back to what you said, the art, the fact that you have this guy that you can erase bitterness. And, it, and I like that it's erased. Not it's not a an automatic switch that it gets erased. It's not like she shows up and everything's fine. Girl, it's great to see you back again and all that. It, the the love triangle aspect of it and of course the war element and the tensions of what that is make this not automatic that we're going to get a bitter guy to get healed we don't know if he's going to get healed and and and, and as you have said we get all the way to the end and he might not all the way be healed but he's in a place enough to know this is maybe something i can't fully heal but it has to go away for sure and there really aren't that many breakup movies out there i don't think because I think it's the sentimentalist in all of us who, who don't really want to see that. Right. And, and I think they did it so perfectly that maybe people just don't want to touch it. You know what I mean? Like Maybe, maybe <laughs> uh, when I think of breakup movies, it's more like I'm like, I joke about it. It's the, the sloppy emotion stuff. It's the Bridget Jones diary stuff. It's, um, it's movies or, like that where, or the breakup. <laughs> yeah. Or the breakup where or you're just, where you're just mean John to each Favreau, other, you know, yeah. cause it's easy to do. You're angry. And and Bogart's still angry too. He pounds that table when he's drinking that whiskey, and he's pissed. And I mm. get it. And it would be so, like I said, in a different movie, it'd be so easy for him to have that anger be the most forward emotion he's got, where the anger just seeps. It just comes out of him. And it, and don't get me wrong, Bogart has a few lines where he'll say a few things, and like that first meeting where. He, like it's uh the drink because uh, Captain uh, Louis there to kind of again press some buttons and stir the pot a little bit, not knowing their history but starting to pick up on the clues of their history because uh you know um she invites him or I think Lazlo invites him to sit down for a drink and of course there's that precedent where Rick Rick never drinks with any of the customers and he's like yes I will and Louis there to watch that and he's like wait you're gonna have a drink a precedent's been set uh been broken I should say and uh so there's little moments where you know he's letting Ilsa, no. Yeah, I'll sit down and have a drink with you, but I ain't gonna like it. Yeah, I'll sit down and, and you know and admire your husband. I'm not gonna like it. Yeah, I you know it's nice to hear that song from Sam, but I'm not gonna like it. Like he he lets on that he's bitter and he's hurt. Um, and those conversations get more specific and more less veiled as the movie goes on, especially by the time she does come back after he's been drinking that night to proposition him in in his in the restaurant when after closing where. That's a crucial scene. Like, if they can't sell that tension there, it, you don't. How much of a breaking movie is this? And those two nail it when you get to that point. Yeah, and we, <laughs> I had to mention the breakup, man, because anytime I think of of a breakup movie, if you mention that, all I could, all I, could I just picture. I know you're wow. a John Favreau fan. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so we, we discussed that before. I just see him in the bar with Vince Vaughn saying, "So you want me to kill her, right?" That, that what you want <laughs> right. to do? Uh, yeah. yeah. You, okay, that's fine. You, you can say no, but I, I just nod your head one time and, uh-huh. and tell, let me know if you want. It's just it's a great just, for Favreau. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was just that's the that's the first scene that comes to mind when I think of a breakup movie. <laughs> like, yeah, and that's um, um, and to circle back to Sam, it'd be easy for Sam to just be to be overly loyal and go, yeah, yeah, screw her. You, you should be mad. Keep drinking. You know, like, yeah. you know, feed the anger Sam could do, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Sam's just, he's there to deflect and heal a little bit. And it's nice to see that. 
in a manly breaking movie because how often do we like you're saying with Favreau and other characters like that how often do we have when there's a breakup have the boy who's like yeah well, let's go do something dangerous let's do something screwed up like like who there's always a pusher more than uh-huh. a than a hugger so it's nice that Sam's the hugger yeah it's like let's just, let's go get drunk <laughs> let's just go get yeah. out of here man let's just forget about it. but, but that's, yeah that's be... as far as Sam will feed it you know he's not going to be like. Like Favreau is not gonna let's go kill her. Let's go turn him into the authorities. Let's go get the girl back. Like his goal doesn't become break the two up, you know. Yeah, and and the best friend in, in a lot of movies would be like that, you know. Like you said, yeah, let's just go top. turn him. Yeah, way over. Yeah, so it's what Sam brings is like a legit best friend who is looking out for your best interests. Yeah, and oh man, that's what we all need. <laughs> if we if mm-hmm. we all have one friend like that, then we're lucky. Yeah. Mm. Oh man, I um not to circle back to an old point, but uh, I was remembering something to kind of switch to the women in the movie, which is pretty much just Elsa. But uh, when Sam does play it, to go back to the song, I, I have to think that women have these songs and moments too. Now I know we might sit here and play the stereotype card like I'm playing with like Bridget Jones of you know ice cream and sweatpants on the couch when there's a breakup and just and the <laughs> tribe around them going, yeah, he's a jerk, you know, like the <laughs> like I'm saying that the feeders and the pushers like. I know women have them too, but I admire how much she sells the anguish of the breakup too. Because, like, for example, when she gets him to play the song the first time, and Sam starts playing that wonderful song, and the camera stays on Bergman, she never blinks. Mm. For the extent of that little moment, where in that moment you know she's having the flashback, the memory, the thing, all the things are rushing back, but she never blinks. By that point, the camera stays on her for I don't know how long of a beat, but it's good enough that you're like, dang, she doesn't blink. And then it cuts to Bogart, who hears the song, starts walking over, and Sam, I thought, until you never play that. By the time you come back to Bergman, and after those two little cuts of here, Bogart hears it, comes over, says to Sam, Sam does those little eyes like, oh, you know, you better look over there. By the time you go look back at Ilsa, she's got tears in and like mm. so between that moment of the song playing and Rick coming back over and that eye contact, the moment's been had by her too. And I admire that too, where I try to sit back and I know this is a manly movie situation, but like I'm trying to picture and have empathy for and I do, uh, her position of, you know, I don't know if my husband's dead or not. Like I go back to the Paris stuff, like I don't know if my husband's dead or not. This man's been very nice to me and he's supportive of me as in as in Rick. And I can see a future there as somebody who respects what I do, admires what I am, and is is helping me out through a tough time. And then, but if I was, you know, if I was a married woman or, you know, a married person as I am, and then I were to learn that my husband was still alive, yeah, I bet my tune would change. And I would write that crusher of a Dear John letter that would be sent on a train platform. And I would, it would be very difficult to walk away. So, I the nice part about this for me is that this movie also doesn't paint her as the bad person either. Like, oh my gosh, how could you leave this man on? Or oh my gosh, how could you leave him without saying goodbye? And all those like parts where everyone's having difficult decisions, and all those difficult decisions are are well measured in this movie. Again, for a movie that is was slotted and and released at a time to just be a, another run of the mill piece of the Warner Brothers machine, it wasn't meant to be an event movie. And here it comes doing things smarter than we see a dozen other movies do at the same time. For sure. And and 80 years later. <laughs> it's yeah, like, here we are. Yeah, yeah loving it. Mm. Mm-hmm. They call it lightning in a bottle, man. 
It is. And, and, and the more, the more I watch this, I, I, I go back and forth a lot of times between this and white Christmas for, uh, Michael Curtis. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I feel like Casablanca, the more I think about it and the more I talk about it, the more I watch it. I think, I think that's got to take the cake as far as his masterpiece goes. I mean, he's, you can, I know we talk about masterpieces and I get in trouble, yeah. but, uh, no, um, he's that he's prolific enough where I, I'm, I'm not that I'm the masterpiece police, but I play the part of the masterpiece police in different circles that JB and I walk socially. So I'll say this out loud. <laughs> um, in the same way that Steven Spielberg can arguably have more than one masterpiece because of like, to, and you, you've heard me before. I'm a more of a magnum opus kind of guy where you get one, you get two and the two better be like in different genres where they don't really compete with each other. And Spielberg has that where you can say, Schindler's List is his dramatic masterpiece, and then you can go pick the, whatever you want to be his best science fiction film, or then his best action film, and all that. But the man can have more than one. Or if you and if you need to put Jaws in its own little place, go for it. Curtis has this. He's got Millinger Pierce. He's got Adventures of Robin Hood. He's got White Christmas. He made 130 films. Like he, mm-hmm. he did not mail it. I mean, he was a um, a factory in terms of making things through, but. His resume is outstanding. You will find more. I mean, I, I, yes, to me, Casablanca is his most complete thing, but you will find some Stone Cold Stunner movies on his resume where that's a, I mean, it's an impossible deep dive because he's got films as far back as the silent era where no one will ever cover that letterbox list of his 130 credits. But you can go 20, 30 deep and find a wealth of film history and fantastic movies because I think he did Yankee Doodle Dandy. Like he's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a ton. So, yeah, I, when when people go, when people start making those Mount Rushmore lists of what, the best directors of all time, I'm that guy. Well, I'm a Casablanca defender, but I'm that guy who puts Curtis up there because he could make anything and make it well to the point where, yeah, I know it's not Scorsese, and I know it's not Spielberg, where or, where things were always on some higher level of massive importance, but in terms of like craft and success. And multi-genre storytelling, the guy can do anything. Agreed. Uh, yeah, Yankee yeah. Doodle Dandy was. Uh, I think yeah, it's. I, I, I don't know what. It, I don't want to talk about turn here. I, I looked. I looked it up as you were saying it. I was like, "Is that Curtis? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've never seen Mildred Pierce. I haven't either, but I, and I'm over. But I, but I, I saw. Mean. But I saw Mommy Dearest. Close enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. I'm a big Adventures of Robin Hood fan. You know, you get Arrow yeah. going and Captain Blood before that. I mean, he's just fun. Flynn, that is. And you you know, you get the right movie to kind of, you know, show him off as a matinee idol. It's good. Uh, from a Bogart standpoint, Angels and Dirty Faces with Curtis is, is a good one there. And then, yeah, you're right. White Christmas, if you go a little later, we're no angels. Um, yeah, he's loaded. Loaded. Mm-hmm, for sure. Man, we could talk on and on and on about this movie. So... Uh, were there other, I mean, I know, uh, were there other kind of manly moments or manly themes that kind of stuck out to you? I'm trying to go through my list a little bit. Um, you got a couple? Well, I mean, it's just the theme of the movie or the, the Rick's theme was I stick my neck out for nobody. And he said that several times until the very end where he stuck his neck out. <laughs> and when he pulls the gun on Louie. Uh-huh. That's when you know this man means business, and he's he's about to do, like he like he's 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 for real, like he, and he's yeah yeah. So at that point, I, I realized that Rick is actually I, at the, at one of the first time first time I watched it, not knowing what's what's about to happen, 
I'm thinking this dude's going off hinge, going unhinged, right? Right. And and so when he does, and then you see that arc come into play when he hands her off to Laszlo to get to get on that plane. And and I and I said it earlier about the fact that she is his wife and she is the one who is his driving force and and the, and the one the, the shining light that he looks to that that keeps him going and that's what my wife is i get that totally and right. and and the, all of his work would mean nothing if it wasn't for her just that whole speech there just really resonates with me as a man yeah and for for rick to say that about somebody else <laughs> Like exactly that that is more manly than I will ever be be able I to agree. I agree. I I'm in the same place with that where you're right, just one on one for a man to admit that they're right or wrong for someone is one thing. But you're right, that next level to say that to somebody else's wife. To say to say that to somebody else that they can't have. That's a higher level. And I, I'm with you. That that's what makes it all the more incredible because yeah, I think if this movie has a happy ending where the two people you want to get together get together, it doesn't have this level of greatness because it would be just as expected or as stock as you think it is. But the fact that this has that kind of moment and that kind of turn um, and a fortuitous one and, and, a man, and not just a manly one, but a forthright one, um, I think it's, yeah, that's what separates this movie to me from just being another heroic thing during wartime. Because that's the other thing that fascinates me is that this was made in 1942 in, in a war we did not know the ending of. They're doing this movie and playing the Germans are the bad guys and the French need our help kind of thing in a war that for us was one year old. And at the time where like we didn't know the outcome of it, like we could if, if that war had turned differently, this movie would be a hell of a time capsule. It already is a hell of a time capsule because it's just, imagine us trying to make a hopeful thing or a a movie with these kinds of pillars that we're talking about of giving of oneself, but then giving of to others of yourself and all those different, you know, um, like you said, higher level um, values that Rick is showing off, or at least you know, getting back to after being a hardened man um, to, to have those go on during the biggest gripping thing that was going on in the world. I can't imagine just the, the, the well of hope that came out of that, or just the, the optimism that this movie has is off the charts to me as well. There's something about that time, you know, during that world war two time, they made some banger movies during that time. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. But this and, isn't a, but this isn't a pom pom shaken Ura movie though at all. Like America's great. Like no America's so far detached from this movie. Like we have a character yeah. who can't go back to America for whatever he did. And, this is all happening overseas for somebody else. And that's the fun part about this is this isn't the usual, I don't want to call it propaganda film, but uh, not a, it's not a pro America front forward film. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what I like about like this. I'll take stuff like this and it's a wonderful life. It has yeah. the war in it, but it doesn't right. really have a whole lot to do with it. And then Mrs. Miniver also yes. where it, it's a, a, takes place in a place where the war is going on and but it's about the people living right um in the middle of it so it's man it's stuff like that where, where it touches on the war but the fact that it's 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 normal everyday people that's mm -hmm. what really resonates with me 
because yeah. I, I've never been a soldier. You know what I mean? Like, so me just like your, your typical war movie. I mean, yeah, they're going to get me. Like I love 1917, you know, saving private right. Ryan and stuff like that. But what really hits me and gives me empathy is stuff like this where mm-hmm. normal everyday people with this whole thing yeah. going on around them. That's bigger than they are. Right. I, that's what resonates with me. Yeah. Cause it, it's really easy to do that afterwards when you know the ending. Like, it's really easy to make Saving Private Ryan knowing that we made it out of that war and there's a wonderful <sighs> cemetery of, of heroes in Normandy, France that you can go visit. Or it's really easy to make 1917 where we know how that movie and that war turned out, you know, 100 years later. But for, for a movie like this to do it in the moment, then without knowing the ending <laughs> is phenomenal. To, and to, like you said, to have real people having real big boy moments ongoing to that is incredible for sure Good that's stuff, why I, that's why i always say that i love the 1940s that's that's mm-hmm. my like my favorite era of cinema it's yeah, because I, yeah. of stuff like this that's the you give me a doc brown time machine that's when i want that's where i want to go i want to i want to see i want to thrive in what was the greatest generation that to, to to walk a mile in those shoes would be something to do yeah oh man mm. for sure Good stuff. Yeah, man. Did you have anything else as far as manly moments go? No, that's kind of the capper for me. I mean, I think we've kind of touched on it where um, if if there's not a song that got us, I don't know how many of us men have one of these too, but like, I, I can say this a lot. Uh, my wife's not going to bother me. Uh, I have a box of love letters from the high school girl, you know, still, you know, <sighs> entombed in a shoebox where like, uh, you know, I, I got my crusher of a letter one time and, and that sort of thing. It's not covered in raindrops from a train platform. But uh, yeah, like I, not that like reading that letter or seeing someone's handwriting does the same thing as immediate as the song does. But I think we all have our external or internal scrapbooks of things that remind us of moments of wonder, moments of greatness or moments of loss in our lives. And those are kind of fun. You know, I, I as a the successful ones are always on frames on our walls. You know, it's our kids, it's our families, it's stuff like that. But like, I feel like everybody, whether they keep one in a shoebox or they don't, has a scrapbook either in their hearts or in their minds of all the stuff that's not pretty or good enough for a frame, or it's sad or it's not great. And I I admire I admire those feels that are in there too. For sure, yeah. I think I have. I think I might have a, a some love letters from high school. Actually, uh-huh. I, I don't are know. I don't know where they are, mm-hmm. but I'm. I, I, is your wife your wife's gonna hear this and just gonna tell you that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think I think she knows that I have them. I'm just not really I'm not really sure where they are, but I'm <laughs> right. I'm I'm kind of I'm pretty sure that I have them, and I have pictures. You know, I've got I've got photo oh, albums and stuff thanks. like, uh, uh, and I've I haven't gone through them in a while, but I know when I do, that's gonna be fun. I mean, and even you know, I love my wife, and everything happens the way it should. What but to that? look back, it's it's just like a different time. Just just kind of yeah. be like this 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 led to this right. moment. Like every everything that happened then led to yeah. what, what's going it, on it's now. It's the Rascal Flat song, man. You know, it's it's God bless the broken road that led me here straight <laughs> to you. You know, like we wouldn't all, all those love letters in a box, all those songs that crush us, are all pieces and steps in the journey that get us to hopefully the good places we are now. Talking about movies or living our lives, where yeah, like. That to me, that's the lasting image of this movie for me is like, I call it a breakup movie, but at the same time, it's a resilience movie and a romantic resilience movie, and I I admire the hell out of that. Mm. Roll with the punches, man. And that's yeah. There we go. And, and 
walking off in the sunset, not with a woman, but with your with a good friend. That's I know. <laughs> that's cool, man. I know. And, how it's and I I'm trying to think of like um it, that movie's old enough to be emulated, copied, and lampooned since and I don't know if I have another well, I, I definitely don't well for me, I don't have a better break of movie than that movie. Uh, I also don't know if I have another platonic male friendship walk off moment quite as good as that. You know, like father and son riding off in the sunset in the third Indiana Jones movie is not the same as this. Uh any of these superheroes <laughs> walking home at the end of the day to go have shawarma is not the same as this. Uh I don't or, know if I have a Butch and Sundance running out of a building with guns and guns blazing is not yeah, the same either. They're dead, so I can't, I can't call that as good as these two who are going to go have lives after this, but that's probably the next closest. But uh, I don't have another. Do you got a comp here? I can't, I can't I think of any, man. Yeah. Like, did, I mean, we talked about it before, but, you know, Field of Dreams with the father. But no, he, he, he left at the end, though. Right. Like he's gonna so, go. Well, his father's dead. He's gonna go walk off into some corn and <laughs> go back to heaven. So, so uh, like that's not gonna happen. Yeah, I just, I, I really, I'm blanking. I wish I would yeah. thought about this before. I uh, don't know. Um, maybe, and it's not the same kind of moment, but it's like two people who are now friends and have gone through something. Maybe like Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith walking away from that alien ship with the cigars in their mouths back to their girls mm-hmm. at the end of Independence Day, like. But that's more of a, you know, heroic look where we save the day kind of thing, not the we're going to go be friends for the rest of our life moment. I don't know if it's that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I can't call that a comp either. Yeah, maybe it's just unmatched. <laughs> I I like to think so. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I enjoyed it. I'm glad to have you back on. And I'm sure you we'll do this again here. sometime. Yeah, uh, real quick, why don't you let people know how they can get in touch with you and about a little bit about your podcast as well you betcha your writing um, i am the uh, i'll start with the writing part first um uh, i primarily write from the site i started every movie has a lesson you can search that on twitter or facebook you'll see all that stuff there uh, my work is published on 25 years later site.com 25yl is the easiest place to find it between facebook and social media um i'm also through 25well the co-host of the cinephile hissy fit podcast with a uh, an, an Arizona hooligan named Will Johnson. We are both uh, writers on 25 Well. Uh, kind of the crux of our show is we take a movie and we uh, argue about it for a couple of minutes at a time. And we uh, need to get you on the show to kind of pick a movie to kind of to chop up a little bit, which would be fun. Um, because the guest always breaks the tie, which is great. Uh, but we've been doing that for um, about a year and uh, year and three months now. We're coming up on our 68th episode or so. So we're chugging along. We try to put one out once a week and uh, it's, it's a darn good time. But uh, other than that, um, uh, the work is in the places I said, 25 well, and every movie has less. Nice. Yeah, I, I do need to get on that show at some point. I just hadn't. We'll get you. I got Because we're both teachers with time off. This is the chance to bank episodes for Will and I. <laughs> I just, I, I've got to get my, my gloves ready when I do. So I've, I've got to... Please do. Yeah. <laughs> but so. honestly, it's, we, we if you've heard, if, I, I, if you've heard our show, like a good example I would give to you is is the the of the worst we've ever been was fighting Aaron White over passengers. So like if you can survive <laughs> listening to that, you can survive with whatever gloves you bring for whatever movie. Don't worry. That was a good one. That was <laughs> like, good. It was my fun. favorite show for sure. Yeah. Aaron uh, knows it too. So yeah. <laughs> I actually really liked the episode on the Tree of Life, to be honest. Oh, because you know me, I'm a I'm a jerk <laughs> to to fight on that movie and 
I'm a, I'm okay being wrong, but at the same time, I'll 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 fight my fight for sure. <laughs> I mean, I hate that movie too. That's why I loved it so much. Just hearing you bag on it so much was yeah. so great. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. the fun part is when you when you do come, bring either a movie you love or a movie you absolute hate, and that's that that's the only gloves you need, you know. Gotcha. Well, cool, man. Um, as as always, you can hit me up on uh, I'm on Twitter at Manly Movies One, and then also on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/ManlyMovies. I'm JB Huffman. I have you can see me posting on Letterbox, you know, once or twice a day <laughs> because. As as Don says, I watch a ton of movies, but yeah, it's just JB Huffman. That's you know no periods or anything on that. And then I have I have this podcast, and I have another sports podcast. I'm gonna plug that one real quick. The SEC Tavern Talk. If you're an SEC fan, check that out. But anyway, uh, I've enjoyed it, man. We'll do it again. And yes. Until next. You. Yes, I appreciate it. So, until next time, all you gentlemen out there, just remember. In every situation, just like Rick Blaine, you've got to man up.